2: Welcome to the Jack and Joe Show. We talk about property, business and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors and our journey to health, wealth and happiness.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Jack and Joe Show. And we're here today in St. Helens. we a very, very knowledgeable person, massively into HMOs and, and also serves accommodation as well. Uh, Ian Reid welcome here
0: cheers boys been uh, it's been it's been emotional already <laughs>
1: <laughs> been a blast how are you doing
0: good um i mean we've uh, we've already had a coffee and we've already had a look at what one two three different properties yeah, we? yeah, yeah. and we've Very had good a good talk. chat it'd be nice it would have been nice to cut to bring some of that chat into uh into this chat really but I, you know i'll try and i'll try and give as much information as possible and one thing i'm very cognizant of whenever i watch a youtube or listen to a podcast is getting as much content across yeah, as possible yeah. and making it valuable for the uh for the listener so uh let's try and give as much content as possible actionable yeah. content stuff they can take away and really listen listen to and implement and things they can do
2: yeah sounds great so uh, do you want to give a bit of a background of how you got started in, in property in general yeah Yeah, and SA and HMOs and... A
0: bit bit of the journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I left school at 16 with an interest in graphics and creativity and ultimately started an apprenticeship by the local council as a joiner, uh, a carpenter and joiner. So that is 12 weeks in the joiner's shop, making windows, making doors, and then the rest of your three-year apprenticeship on site fitting doors, fitting windows, skirtings, architraves, small roofing detail, anything woodwork related or, or now UPVC related. What I quite quickly realised as I was fitting a piece of skirting board with my chin resting on a toilet <laughs> hand, god God's <laughs> honest story, only two miles away in Par, which is quite a, a poorer area of St. Helens was, and it was rough and it was quite smelly, the, the house I was working in, I just thought, I don't want to be doing this at 50 um, and I and I, I just had this kind of like my mum calls it a personal renaissance and it was just a, a, a mindset shift inside where I thought you know in order to change uh, I'm gonna to have to do something different so I think that night I enrolled in um, a extra class at university at, at college really, yeah. um, which was back then it was called a BTEC Um, in the in the in building technology and so the joinery gave me the appreciation of site woodwork and a little bit around health and safety the the BTEC in construction gives you a much wider understanding of plumbing um, plastering building Mm -hmm. brickwork and my confidence levels skyrocketed because I was then walking around the um, the joinery site or the builders yard with a much bigger appreciation for all the other trades. Yeah. That was a th- 2 year course that I used to do from 6am 6 6pm 6 till 9pm every two nights a week alongside being an apprentice at, and studying for the apprenticeship as well NVQ mm. level 2 and 3. But even in those moments I realized at the end of that BTEC that I still had a hunger for something else. So I enrolled in a four-year building surveying degree at Sheffield Hallam University and that really like skyrocketed my understanding because then the appreciation goes from trade activity to the wider professional angle so you understand what the engineer does, what the architect does, uh, what the surveyor does, uh, what the quantity surveyor does what civil engineering is, what building cement is. You just get, you just get this huge picture of the entire industry then. What planning is, yeah. uh, landlord and tenant law. You yeah. know, uh, these are stuff that back then, I was doing age kind of like 20, 21, 22, 23, with no, no awareness that I was gonna be a property investor yeah. down the line. But looking back, oh wow, what a fantastic grounding, you know, yeah. in, into the industry. In my final year at uni, I did a, a stint for TV for Mersey TV, Conquer Boy Films, which was on yeah. Dis- Discovery Home and Leisure. That's a fantastic little road we can go down. But just to kind of uh, stay on track, I got to a stage in that degree in construction and surveying where I was at like a crossroads of I could go into IT okay. or I could I could I could go and get a job uh, in the property industry and back then IT was booming and I chased the money, which really? was, I don't know, this, this, you know this, there's two ways of looking at that. But I, I, for, for, for 10 years, I took a career in IT where I did sales, project management, programme management, training. I was in, in the financial services industry um, and I did a whole load of international travel. And that job gave me enough of a income and enough of a, a salary and allowed me to build the credit file, which really led me to investing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was about three years into that. And I realized I wasn't gonna, my expectations of salary progression in the corporate world just weren't gonna come to fruition. Salaries didn't go up like I wanted it. And that's when I, um, I got the property bug around about 2003 Two thousand and four. I went to I went to a Tony Robbins event, and it just fueled me to think. Right, I need to do something. And I spent the first eighteen months on the sidelines, going to the property exhibitions, reading the books. Podcasts weren't around, YouTube's weren't around. <laughs> it was CD-ROMs. So and, how, how
1: old were you then? Paper copies. Two
0: thousand and three, born in seventy-five. So 22, 23. Okay. Probably not dissimilar to your I'm age. Old, yeah, I'm 25. Yeah. 25. 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew you're a bit older. Um, and in hindsight now, God, I'm so glad I did it at that yeah, age. And yeah. Getting to know my business partners now, Jack and Jim, who are 24, 25. Uh, huge respect for them at this age for having the awareness now. Yeah. Because if you, property is a long game, and if you make the decisions now to get involved, mm-hmm. it'll pay off it when you're 45, 50, 55. Yeah. I was tinkering around the sidelines every morning getting up at four a.m. and five AM and I was on right move. Right move was around, believe it or not, back then it was very early age, early days. And I remember somewhere somewhere around eighteen months into kicking around the sidelines, just literally going viewing a property, picking up the phone and just making an offer. Even though I knew it wasn't below market value, it wasn't necessarily in the best area. It wasn't the best property, but I just had to take some action. I just had to take an action. Put your foot in the door. I had to. And it wasn't the best purchase. I've still got it now. Mm -hmm. And there's a fantastic story about it's now a four bed Minimo. I didn't didn't even know what an HMO was back (laughs) then. But that place basically got turned into a cannabis farm without me knowing. Yeah. The way my process, you know, the way it went for me was single let, single let, single let, HMO. Because I'd realised after like three single lets that there's just no money in single lets. And the HMO we bought, we invested 30k's worth of like proper cash, liquid cash, into kitting it out and fitting it out. Took us about six months back then. I predominantly did all the work myself whilst working. I had this concept at the time of trying to to build up the assets in stealth mode. Mm -hmm. And I'd encourage anyone, if you are in a job at the minute, don't leave your job. Do it in stealth mode. Do it before work. Do it after work. Do it at the weekend. Mm-hmm. That's one strategy. It's not. Yeah. It's not for everyone. But, um, I, you know, I, 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 there was a disabled plumber that I know who'd had a stroke, and I, I took him along, and I sat him in the room, and he taught me how to do the copper pipes yeah, to, to the boiler, fair. and 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 I just kind of did everything bootstrapped. That was the Prescott Road property. Um, which is now a licensed five bed, freshly painted, all fire doored HMO. But back then, it just wasn't that onerous. You could get it, and, yeah. and, and as quick as you can, you can get, you know, fill in the rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, things have changed. I think I did two more single lets, but by that time, I was just like, no, HMO, HMO, HMO. And, and from that point forward, I never looked at a single let. I just fully turned my back on that and just. just purely focused on hmo
2: so ian uh, just getting back to what we were just talking about we're looking at scaling our business and our kind of plans for the future we're looking to do it in gradual stages so we're not taking on too much at, the, at one time trying to minimize risk starting kind of small and gradually building up how would you relate that to someone who's looking to get into hmos yeah. what way would you recommend them starting off
0: obviously you could go straight in for your seven bed eight bed nine bed ten bed hmos but i think if you do that you and you're fresh, you're exposing yourself to a lot of challenges regarding risk, regarding um, trades, regarding price overruns, um, regarding the implications, the challenges of managing 10 tenants. Mm. So I would step it right back and potentially look at a four bed minimo, which is a mini HMO. Some of the benefits, depending on your area, assuming you've got no uh, article four directions in your area, you could possibly pick up a two bed two reception room house make some minor adaptations and that controls you know the risk of overspending on plastering is contained the risk of overspending on joinery is contained your capital fit out costs for your four beds your one washing machine your one fridge freezer are contained and it gives you a chance to run a four bed minimo without the necessary five bed licensing implications so basically if you if you do a five bed hmo certainly where i am you and in fact nationally from the first of october you need a license which means you have to have fire doors on every bedroom fire doors on the kitchen heat and smoke alarm in the kitchen intermission strips on all the fire doors
1: if you don't need the license for a four bed all of them regulations and stuff what's What's the script with Dara here? It's a bit of a grey area. It
0: it, it is a bit of a grey area. I've had the licensing officer out to one of my four beds and she still insists on the same level of protection and cover that I'm doing in my five beds. The only real difference is that the five beds require the formal paperwork for the smoke test the fire bed the five beds require the license itself which is a cost exercise it therefore requires floor plans and um, it requires this the, the submission of the application and the issuing of the license by yeah. the authority
1: so why did she come around
0: she... in my issue it was the cannabis farm okay. um, and the one of the neighbors was unhappy about what she perceived as a load of flats getting built next door which was a crazy a crazy accusation and she caused major chaos with the planning officer building control environmental health one other department i think she even went for trading standards she was so rattled with this new hmo i mean that hmo is probably one of the nicest looking houses on the street it's got a brand new composite door it's got a full house of upvc windows it's got a brand new kitchen a brand new bathroom it's got four freshly plastered She wasn't bothered when it was a cannabis farm. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, yeah, big, you know, it's now got lovely residents, lovely guests, lovely tenants that are looking after it. Um, And as I said to you earlier, I pay more attention to the HMOs. I'm there more frequently. I'm involved more, making sure that they're all run almost like as little micro hotels or little micro guest houses or little micro lodgings, however you call them. Um, So it, it, it I think it is a bit of a grey area, the four bed and the three bed um, because it's not, the, the compliance from the council is not there in the same way it is when you go five people or more and that's quite an important distinction that it's five people or more that throws you into the compliance, yeah. not necessarily the five bedrooms. You could have, you could have a four bed
1: minimum okay with two people in one room
0: yeah or or, you know let's make it even more clear cut let's say two couples in two of the rooms so you're six people yeah Um. then that makes that a licensable hmo there is a there is a there is a lot to get your head around i think in to understand the world of hmo and we were talking earlier about ways to minimize your risks and minimize your exposure and your strategy of like say for example you guys wanted to try an hmo a great way would be to partner with someone who'd done them and a great way for you would be to keep it small and sweet and succinct in the first step and just go for a two bed two two up two down ideally with a, 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 a some amenity space like this conservatory because yeah, I mean, yeah. that just makes it more of a Attractive asset for any of your potential guests doesn't it you yeah, know yeah, what yeah, you know I come here I came here a uh, Monday night when I was doing that manual eviction and one guy was watching telly and uh, A guy who just moved in that weekend was having a chat and I chatted to both of them for 10 minutes Because of this space Whereas as if they're all in their bedrooms You can still knock on and go I house things, but then you're chatting in the doorway. Yeah, it's yeah. not quite the same You know, yeah. what I mean? managing risk and controlling risk for yourselves partner with someone or get mentoring or get assistance or just get you know free love get as much free free assistance you can do the do the four bed because then you'll just when you know when your electricians are coming around because like even on my four bed i've I've gone for hardware integrated smoke alarms in all the bedrooms i have you could argue it's a little bit of a gray area different people have different interpretations of it our council interpret the legislation it's not although it's a national standard our council have a different interpretation on the standard yeah. in some areas mm-hmm. um i think epcs are a bit of a grey area mm-hmm. you read many websites that say if you operate in hmo you don't need an epc yeah okay. you'll you'll read that and yet my officer is saying i disagree with that and I'd like you to have them and she's allowed me a little bit of a grace period so
1: so it's basically the discretion of the officer that you get it to, to some extent.
0: That that's how I've seen it play out in my area. You know, okay. uh, I haven't I haven't necessarily seen hard and fast rules about every single element. There are, you know, at forty one at the moment, we've produced a spec and we've presented that to the council and said this is the spec we're building it to, yeah. and they're very happy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if there was something in that spec they didn't like, for example. Um, we, uh, in one spec, we specified a 10 mil gap um, underneath the bedroom doors just to allow for some circulation space. They didn't like that. Right. They, yeah. they want a tighter gap all the way around okay. because they don't want smoke infiltration coming in. Right. Fine. So they are reading these specs yeah. and yeah. they are giving you advice. Do you know, I, 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 I was quite, I'm not, I'm not adversarial, but I felt it was quite adversarial when all of this compliance come in. Okay. And one of my tips to, to you guys would be if you're going to go and do a four-bed minimo in Liverpool and make sure you've got the funds there from your JV partner or your investor yeah. and invite the council in to say, here's our spec, here's our floor plans, come and walk around. This is what we're intending to do. Yeah. Have you got any comments? Now, I think in Liverpool, they're a bit, um, they, they, they see that as a chargeable activity and I'm not sure they will come out for yeah, nothing yeah. to do it. yeah we're quite smaller here we've only got like one two three hundred HMOs max so mm-hmm. we've had that luxury that they've yeah. come out and we've had the fire officer out and we've had environmental health out and we've, we've been able to do that um, and that's really satisfied my investors that we all know what we're doing we all know what we're playing you know mm-hmm. what, what, what grade we're playing to.
1: Mm-hmm. Say for someone who's just starting out and doing a four bed minimo and obviously the they want to keep their refurb costs down, but at the same time they still want to meet as much safety regulations as possible. What are the main the main like the things? Minimum. So like fire doors, yeah. wired in, fire alarm, what else?
0: Well I personally I if I was doing it, I would try and get them funds in place so that, that all of the bedroom doors had the fire door. Yeah. All of the bedroom doors have the intermission strip. It had the overhead door closer. Um it had I would I would go for the integrated uh, interlinked hardwired smoke alarms in the bedrooms okay. communal areas and kitchen it is a big investment um, how much would you
1: say just generally, uh, i
0: would you... probably allow anywhere between 8 800 and 1000 for your smoke alarms yeah i personally allow around 350 per door and frame in labour that's not door, yeah, yeah it's not okay. cheap <clears throat> it's not cheap and, and and don't go in deluded thinking you'll get it cheap If you're going to have that investment for 20 years you want those doors operating almost engineered like you know you want precision gaps precision Mm. precision locking
2: so it's worth actually spending that money because it's when one have to redo the work in a few years and you'll get less call
0: outs from the tenants and when the hmo officer comes around she'll check one door and if she if she sees how great it is you know she might be less harsh on checking every single one to the ninth degree because yeah. she understands that you understand the importance of the great fit.
2: And in terms of, say, council tax now as well and a HMO compared mm. to singlelet single let, now mm. I know different jurisdictions are, are they operate differently. Mm. You know, straightforward single let is just for the whole building. Yeah. Say now for a minimum. what way yeah. is the council tax working? That's yeah, it. well,
0: a, a massive topic and you could easily do a two or three hour podcast just on this topic alone, but in short, the VOA, They, it's the VOA that basically assess the property. Um, That stands for Valuation Office Agency, I think, Google that. Um, I've had an inspection here. I've had an inspection over the road and I've had an inspection. In fact, that was the fourth body that came to me Uh. cannabis farm. I've had an inspection there. An assessor came out. He asks to see in the bedrooms. What he's looking for is they call it SCUs, self-contained units. Linda Wright from Planet Wright explains this really, really succinctly. Five or six years ago, an SCU, a self-contained unit, was a unit that you could theoretically stay in for 24 hours and not require, there'd be no requirement for you to leave the SCU. And that makes it SCU. So an SCU would have kitchen facilities, washing facilities, sleeping facilities. So if you think about like a one bed apartment, with its own kitchen and its own bathroom and its own bed space and maybe living space. It's self-contained, it's clear cut, it's eligible for council tax because it's a self-contained unit, right? Five years ago, that was the way the world looked. That argument helps me be compliant in the fact that I need one council tax for this property, because this was a three bed residential mid terrace Mm -hmm. with one kitchen, one bathroom, and three bedrooms when you do the adaptation to five bedrooms i purposefully do not make any of the units scu i don't make any of them self-contained because as soon as you do Mm -hmm. i think you're giving the licensing officer so the um the valuation officer Mm -hmm things to play with you can say "Well, hang on a second this guy's got a kitchen he's got a bathroom he's got a bedroom he's got a lounge to mm-hmm. self contain ammunition he's got ammunition so i deliberately don't do that because in my mind it's wrong to classify any of my rooms as self contained they're not no. you have to come out to use this bathroom mm-hmm. you have to come out to use this kitchen and this washing machine so i i've really engineered my product to make sure it doesn't fall foul mm-hmm. of that however some councils when you read on the forum they're interpreting the voa manual they have a massive manual on this differently they're disregarding self-contained unit and they're saying things like if there's been extensive adaptation and change of the property that is a tick in the box in the favor of the valuation officer for example Mm. if each room had a little kitchenette Mm. but you were trying to say well we share bathrooms at the end of a block. They weren't washing with that because they were saying like, "There's no sharing of a toilet. You you have exclusive use of that toilet when you go down there." My my officer when he came the valuation officer, he, he shared with me some of these case studies, right. so that he he wasn't a complete ogre around that. And it, it is a minefield. It is something you want to get your head around. I don't think it's something that should stop you investing in the asset class. Yeah. yeah but I think it's definitely something to get your head around, be aware, mm-hmm. there's there's Facebook groups now where you can join and you can see how people are dealing with this because some councils are coming down hard and saying, you know, we're classing each unit as a self-contained yeah, yeah, yeah. unit. I think,
1: mm. what did, I think we read or seen or something about someone who had like a nine or 10 bed HMO all en suite and, and, and they were getting the council and now enforcing the they to pay council tax yeah. per room. Yeah.
0: Some people have appealed it, and yeah. you can appeal it. And there's there's certainly groups of landlords getting together on Facebook groups to, to fight this. But if you ask me, it's wholly wrong yeah. to do it. Um, the downside of investors is largely they are like I can I liken them to like the feline cat community. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Though it's quite a it's quite an individualistic. Um, activity and trade you, you yeah. don't invest in packs yeah mm. you don't work in packs no. investors don't come together very well um, it's quite an isolated it, although it's quite a sharing community mm. it's also whereas the hotel industry is different the hotel or the farming industry is different the farmers come together and create large farming and um, kind of like lobby groups yeah. Yeah. and the hotel industry does that as well but the investors yeah. we've got the RLA and the NLA which is merging and they don't particularly, um, in my mind, they don't particularly come together and fight causes together. Mm-hmm. I think the world will look radically different in 10 or 15 years time. I think licensing is going to give the VOA and any government organisation huge insight into the stock of properties. Yeah. Because if we go back 10 years, 10 years ago, the council had no idea how this property was configured internally. Yeah. I mean, this is quite a recent thing. i only done this in the last three years. But now, that someone can run a report and go, show me all the HMOs in St Helens. Yeah. Show me all the HMOs in Liverpool. Pff, a huge data set comes up of 2,500. Mm. Hmm. How much council tax would we get if overnight we made all those 2,500? <laughs> <two Yeah. thousand, laughs> you know, and, and that's how decisions could exactly. be made. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know... And the councils are desperate for cash, Ooh, absolutely okay. desperate for cash. But if you ask me, the person that's going to suffer is the poor guy who's you know paying like £100 a week or £90 a week or oh, £80 yeah. a week because he's now going to have to be entitled to pay council tax okay, on yeah. a room when he's not got any of that facility. So mm-hmm. if the council's looking to extract more money from this asset class, I think it needs to be done by whole house banding rather than individual rooms. So instead mm-hmm. of being band A... There's like a count. There's a HMO, HMO band, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, like and it's like band. a plus yeah, yeah, like or yeah. a star star. Yeah. Um, personally, I, there's been so much change since October with all the compliance regulation, and the the licensing costs. Mm-hmm. I think it would massively disrupt the HMO market if mm-hmm. extra costs come in. Yeah, it
1: would definitely. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, like you said, it's the people at the end of the chain who are paying for the rooms. Mm-hmm. Are, you know. Even if the landlords have to pay for it for the council tax, you're going to push the room prices up. Like yeah, you? Like. Yeah, it's
0: just it's just going to happen, and the council will say things like, "That can't happen. You shouldn't do that." And the you know this cost can't be passed on. But the reality is, for new investors coming in, when they're costing out the the costs, that's going to go in as a cost, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know? Yes, yeah, so, factor. Mm-hmm. You could honestly talk about that as a topic. This is in HMO. You could talk about compliance. You could talk about licensing. You could talk about planning you could talk about four bed five bed six bed seven bed you could just you could, it's a really deep topic throat's going <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: on that sort of subject is there any issues that you've ever had with planning before
0: i've had an interesting one crop up where i had a six room shared house and we found some extra space you know we're talking about uh, sweating the acid squeezing the lemon we found some extra space by giving some of the rooms en suites Mm. and then that freed up space in a bathroom it was a huge bathroom where we were able to then create a seventh bed within the footprint of the building i was really proud of that so we did it and at the time i wasn't aware of the planning implication going from a six bed to a seven bed takes you out of the residential use case into the sui generis okay. use case but i found our council really good they just said look we're aware this has happened not sure how the awareness kicked in and they a letter sent uh, a visit takes place you then have to submit a planning application with a notification on the lamppost to say do, yeah. yeah we're going from you know this house and and they help you write the if you like the the tagline or the 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 title of the planning application so application is sought to go from six bed hmo to seven bed sui generis so that's where in my favor good good tenant relations good neighbor relations well managed hmo clean tidy compliant with all the fire doors and smoke alarms just well run and well appointed Mm. all of that stood me in favor of getting that granted with no resistance part of the reason i think i've done okay there is again that house is in an area you know when we arrived i was telling you that one of the things that can go in your advantage is choosing houses where the area lends itself to the hmo Hmm. yeah and the flip side of that being if you took it to you tried to set up next to a school in a beautiful leafy suburb where you've got high density of Mm. owner-occupier, you're gonna struggle. Whereas if you take it to an area where there is a strong rental demand, Mm. strong number of renters Mm. in an area of mixed commercial and residential use, they're all your factors, I think, that lend towards A, a commercial revaluation, and B, a higher chance of getting your planning app through. And this area fits that model. So my advice to you guys would be if you were at some point in the next two or three years going to do a four bed HMO. Like you've looked towards the location carefully where your SA is. HMO is the same End terraces work quite nicely, less people to annoy areas of higher rental density worked well because you've got less owner occupiers who are going to say object, 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 you know, those owner occupiers that object, I can see it from both sides. You know, there's a lot of people that say, Oh, I wouldn't want an HM next to me. But at the end of the day, well run, well managed, carefully selected tenants that integrate well in the house that are all working, mm-hmm. they're all factors that minimize your risk. And if you look at what you're doing in your SA business, on balance, a lot of SA operators are avoiding the one night stays because the one certainly the one night Friday night stays can attract the party. Yeah. They're looking for the contractor bookings midweek. They're looking for two days minimum. So it's the way you're controlling the which guests supply mm-hmm. to stay in USA. You can control that on an see, HMO yeah, uh, similarly on an see, HMO. Yeah. And I think you know God, you don't want you don't want crazy parties in your place because no. it's just a huge headache for you and it costs you money and it pisses your neighbors off. Yeah. And it's the same in HMO. We so were
2: just touching that then, like so. Say if um, a new potential tenant came to you, how would you kind of, I suppose, vet them or screen them? Yeah, yeah. That's a really
0: good one. Kaz asked me that last night because we were trying to think about how we can add value. And we touched earlier on in the coffee shop around stereotypes and patterns of behaviour, and without stereotyping too much, we do stereotype, don't we? We yeah, do. Yeah. We We, <laughs> we, we, we do. I, I think if you were looking for a girl and a night out you will have certain stereotypes in your mind of the girl you want to be with and the girl you don't want to be with. Yeah. And I think it's the same in, in, in HMO. I, I, the way I do it is I is, first of all, I look at the nature of their inquiry on Spur Room or via text or via WhatsApp or via Facebook. How, are, how have they come across in that very first instance? Mm. So uh, I'll try and do it really black and white to give you extreme examples. All right, mate, spliffing the photo, looking for a, uh, looking for a place... <laughs> me and my missus just got kicked out so that's a really extreme example but it happens yeah. because there is a certain sector of society that think that is the way you do it flip side 55 year old gent in, describes himself as a gentleman uh working locally at xyz local employer been there 20 years just splitting up from a relationship with my partner okay. you know right okay winning hands down so that's the initial communication. The phone call. All right, la. What? Yeah, blah, 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 You know. <laughs> and you get it. Yeah. As opposed to someone who can, can coherently put together a phone call. Yeah. They might be a bit vulnerable, but they can put together a phone call. Okay, so there's the second stage. Third stage, the meet. Can they turn up on time? Can, yeah. can they find the property themselves? Mm. Yeah. You know, because if, if they can't get to the property and, and find the property and, and shake hands with you at the doorstep... Um, and then when you're showing them round, you get a, you just get a feel for like, is this the kind of guy or girl that I can work with? Yeah. You know, you still get it wrong. You still get it wrong all day long. But um, is this someone that I could do business with? Is this someone that if there was a problem, I can resolve? Um, that's very much the style, my style. And I, I, even the same style with my investors. You know, I've, I, I'm all about. Can I meet them? Can I shake hands with them? Do they seem like if there's an issue, they're normal and human? You know, like plastering overruns by three days or plaster wasn't aware that that was in the thing and it's going to be another 150 quid. Are we all human and normal and we can kind of say and we can deal with it that way? Yeah, yeah. That's the way I like to do it. I don't think there's a huge need for massive lengthy contracts. Yeah. But it's a judgment call, isn't it? And, 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 you know, if there's any alarm bells on that, um, site visit that's when you can potentially put some hurdles in the way of the application to see just how serious they are so if you've got if you've got any if you've got any doubts you can say well can i see some screenshots of your bank account
2: yeah, references
0: if, can i see some references if he's not comfortable giving you screenshots or if so all of a sudden his phone's broken it then mm. you know there yeah. they, <laughs> they, they, they you are in the sense. And, exactly. it's, and it's the same in serviced accommodation isn't it in the yeah. fact that You know, I know James is really good at our end on making sure the terms and conditions are signed, and um, you know, again, asking them what you're coming up for. Because we, you know, we we had this, we had seven people coming up one night for two nights stay. We want to know the age group of that group, Mm -hmm. the average age. We want to know are they coming here for work. The last thing we want is someone coming for two nights of partying.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, And it's the same in HMO. You've got to try and kind of weed out potential problems mm-hmm. what else am I looking for it's this this is a tragedy and it is ageist but I often use as a benchmark and a filter am I prepared to stand by my words and stand on stage and say it and and I would say you've got to be careful with the younger people you know like and it is the very ageist thing to say but I've had more problems with the 18 to 25 demographic than I have with the 55 plus demographic
2: yeah. okay. yes. and I yes. just
0: I don't I, I, you know I'd, I'd, I'd defend that and you know what do you think on that one like, let me ask you it seems,
2: seems like really kind of a, yeah, it's a fair comment it's good
0: yeah. to ask because um you could imagine if you were asked that on BBC News is it okay to say that is it politically correct to say that but at the end of the day nah, these are patterns that have yeah. emerged over 15 years of experience yeah. why give yourself a headache you know if
1: 25 plus I am 25 now and I'm just sort of I don't know everyone's got their own sort of time frame I'm thinking, but I've just sort of I'm out, I'm out. of that childish phase, and yeah. past all that. Yeah. That sort of, but I can imagine you
2: know, me and a group of my mates when we were nineteen, twenty. You're out on there. Saturday night. You're bringing out a load of your yeah. friends back to your yeah. house, and you know, that's just yeah. the age group, really. Like I've and done, I've done it. Have no, do. done it? And I've, I've done, 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 it. done it. And it's
0: not. It's just something you spot, and it's just trends you pick up on. And I think the world's gone a bit crazy if we can't say that and oh, say yeah. that that's something to look out for. Yeah. Uh, likewise, fifty-five plus. Are great because in my mind they've got good values, they've got good beliefs, um, they're honest. They might still have some financial problems, but they'll come to you and say, "Hey, listen, I've got a problem here." Do you know the, the cannabis farm? Let's 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 talk about that because there's some real value for yourselves or anyone else. So the cannabis farm is a house in uh, in Mendic Grove. It's the first house I actually bought seventy thousand. Set out as a two-bed mid-terrace with a lounge and a diner and a kitchen and a toilet upstairs. Mm. It operated reasonably well as a single let, you know, fifty quid some months, seventy-five quid the other months, hundred eight hundred odd quid the next month. But then a tenant would not pay for like three months and you know and or four months, and it was it was just it was my whole point about single lets—they're messy. One of the problems I experienced as a Self-managing landlord was as you're trying to do what you guys are doing now. We've been talking about this morning, which is you're splitting yourself off between meeting landlords, meeting investors, meeting agents, um, doing your own research. Yeah. You're splitting your time up in so many ways that your your landlording time also gets finite, and and you. When, the te- when, when tenants become problematic for you, like in the single let market, and they're calling you up about leaky taps and leaky toilet, you kind of get conditioned to, want easy to manage tenants. Um, and this this is, I'm building up to the cannabis farm because the property became available. We popped it on the market and along came a very sweet Asian guy with his wife who might've been pregnant at the time and a young baby in the back seat. And he came to the property and he was very polite, very well-mannered, great nature. I asked him things like, look, I'm after a tenant who, you know, can solve simple things themselves. I'm not really looking to be mithered Mm. too much. And he said, yeah, no problem. Anyway, paid his first month's deposit cash, paid his first uh, month's rent cash. Month one, went into the bank, paid cash. Boom. Month two, paid cash. Boom. Month three, paid cash. No phone calls, no mithering about Tax and landlords' insurance, or gas, or electric, or leaky this, or leaky that—just mm. effortless. And I remember we—I'd look to my wife, and we, oh, this is—we've got a good one. We've got a good one. <laughs> uh, money hit month four. Money hit month five. Money hit month six. He moved in around the September, and I think it was the ninth, tenth, or eleventh of February. I remember getting a phone call from one of my other tenants over the road because yeah. I have two hours in this road. And she was Eastern European and it was actually, I think it was a, a WhatsApp message or a, a, a Facebook message and it said, Ian, Ian, you need to come quick, police everywhere, police everywhere. And it was a really interesting thought because I, I remember thinking through, OK, so I've got a single let property and there's police there. I've got HMOs. When the police come to me, HMO, I go down and find out what's happening. But mm. in a single let, at the time I thought, could be a domestic, yeah. mm. could have had a break in, could have actually been caught speeding and the police have come to visit him to discuss it could have been any number of issues that Mm. so i didn't actually go down immediately but i did text the tenant and say um hiya is everything okay and he wrote back he goes yeah everything's fine so i thought okay everything's fine if there'd been a break in he would have said you know and he was very quick to respond anyway that was like probably like the monday or tuesday Something else happened in the next 48 hours. I think one of my tenants said, you need to come down, your front door's open. I thought, that's weird. I went down and the door wasn't open, but the tenant next door was behaving a bit odd, which is a bit odd anyway. Anyhow, <laughs> I texted the tenant again and I said, right, I'd like to meet if you don't mind. Can you meet? Yeah, I'll see you Saturday, two o'clock. Mm. So I thought, okay, so communication's great, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I turned up at two o'clock. The house looked empty, he wasn't there, the door was shut. Ten past two, no answer, half two, no answer. Put me key in lock. My key didn't work in my lock. Uh, He'd changed that. the lock, so whoa, I thought. Alarm bells. Alarm bells, yeah. So I ringed my joiner, Tom. I said, listen, we're gonna to have to force access here. We need to get in." No reply from my tenant now. And, um, oh man like the devastation we forced access and if you've never seen a cannabis farm that you can't imagine the devastation and it's give me goosebumps talking about it now because they'd smashed holes in chimney breasts really, yeah. they'd smashed holes in the ceiling they'd installed full-on industrial ducting out the roof and um, they'd basically they'd hacked the electric and set up um, like 20 electric points there was 277 plants in what? the house the yeah. soil And you know what? The police hadn't even contacted me. I I still find it hard to believe that the police would have uncovered that and not made some efforts to find out who the owner is. Surprising. Yeah. I was gobsmacked. The plants, the mess, the smell, the plastic sheet and the lining. The strange tenant that said, oh, we thought there was something going on. We could hear a funny noise at night, but she didn't think to tell me. Anyway. I remember I was going on holiday on the Saturday Saturday morning um, and I thought, right, I I ring the insurance company and this is the big learn that I kind of want to get across. So I rang the insurance uh, and they sent me some PDF paperwork over and it was in that moment that I realised, oh my God, I might not actually be covered for this. I've been paying insurance since the moment I went and I'm really big on making sure I'm not underinsured and it's all done above board and done right um no shortcuts no nothing very early on the broker advised me he said you need to be very careful that you meet all these criteria Mm. and i looked at them and there was one criteria there that was like oh my god i don't meet that bit is that going to trip me up and this is the bit that i want to share and you for yourselves it said as the landlord you have to have visited the property in a 90-day window every 90 days and you need almost some kind of record that can Demonstrate you've been,
2: really, yeah.
0: and what they're trying to get, away, what they're trying to get away from, and what they're trying to avoid is they're trying to uh, avoid absentee landlords that mm. just pick a property up, throw it out there, don't give a shit who's in it, yeah. how they're operating in it. Now I felt really aggrieved because you, I think you can tell from looking at all my stuff, I'm fully hands on. It's my job. It's been my job for ten years. Yeah. I'm in and out of my properties daily. Look, we're in one of my properties yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just so happens, and I, I've gone through the chronology with you, because he was a great tenant, because he wasn't... You're with me? Can you yeah. see how I've fallen into that yeah. trap of... Yeah. And that cost me in excess of 18 grand because the damage... Really? Yeah. And then I had to take a decision. Do I spend like 12 grand putting it back to a single let?
2: Yeah.
0: Or shall I just bite the bullet and spend 18? It wasn't much extra and do a four-bed minimo. That was my first minimo.
2: Okay.
0: And actually, it's been a smart move because... It now obviously produces more money than a single yeah. let. I was fed up when it was a single let. I wasn't making any money. So um,
2: So um that was the catalyst to get you into the, the whole HMO side of things? No, no, because I
0: was into HMO, but that just got me thinking now. I've, since then, I've done three beds, four beds. I mean, I've got five, six, and sevens, but I'm not afraid of doing four-bed minimos all yeah. day long. Okay. I'm not afraid. Yeah. It, it lets really well. It's consistently full. It's very low maintenance because four people... There's a huge difference between a three and four person HMO and a six and seven. Mm-hmm. Six and seven creates more uh, rubbish. Yeah. Six and seven creates higher uh, load on the property from a maintenance yeah. in it and a kind of like aesthetic point of view.
1: Them three and four beds, they're normally one bathroom or do you try and squeeze two? Or well, what do
0: you do? with that four bed, I, we, we just modernised the bathroom, took the bath out. See, the other thing to say as well is when it's a, an HMO, I don't mind spending money on an hmo because you're getting that return back mm-hmm. yeah when it's a single let you you operate you quite often operate it from a quite a stingy miserly mindset yeah. so in that issue we we, had, we used it as an opportunity to upgrade the bathroom upgrade all the bedrooms add additional bedrooms put extra sound quality in, put a brand new boiler in mm. skim it yeah. i mean you know the pole pl- i mean it needed all of that because of it needed a lot of that because of the damage yeah but that I'm really proud of that property now. It was my first one that we bought for seventy. It's now a four bed minimo. Commercially, it's gonna have that commercial valuation. It's never gonna get the commercial valve because it's still a house in a cul-de-sac. Yeah. But yeah. um I'm getting good a good return on that and nice. and I'm and I'm engaged and motivated and and happy to visit that property. Whereas with the single let sometimes they can grind you down a bit because you right. you bought into it hoping to make a bit of cash and yeah. you just don't really get it.
2: So like that thing as well with void periods. If you have a void period with a single let, I mean you're just not getting the rent for that month. Whereas if it, if a room is void in a HMO, it's only one room. You still have the other three. Absolutely, rooms,
0: yeah. absolutely. And one thing I've found as well as I've got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger on the number of rooms, I think I'm, I'm. I think I have less voids because basically any call that comes in you can usually service it because you've got that capacity yeah, to, yeah. you know and i think you'll experience that in your sa business yeah. cam talks about it when you've got multiple SAs. if this one's got a leak or if this one's something's going on yeah. you can move you can them around. Move yeah, around yeah so that's a really nice thing about having can be having very
1: costly it. if you've only got one and you've got a find somewhere else to stay or you yeah. same with
0: the HMO and, we, and when we had the fire just down the road you asked me about what happened to that building down the road there was a fire next door to one of our properties which affected our property yeah. but I was able to resettle everyone so that's a nice little feature about having SA units HMO units some single lets
2: yeah. in this
0: instance the I've got a high concentration around here which I love in hindsight knowing what I know now I'd say have a have a patch know your patch but definitely go for concentration because Mm. this is easy to clean you can send a cleaner around she can rattle around all the houses in in a set day it's easy for me to come and service if i meet a tenant as a to show them a room if they don't like that one i can show them that one if there's an issue in that one i can move them so Mm. some real value in having concentration and i think i think so in sa as well
2: definitely yeah if you need to re-host someone Overnight yeah. or whatever. If there's, reasons, if, there's, or whatever if, if
0: there's twelve contractors in your house, only owe six, mm. six in this, six in the other. Mm. um Keys. When your tradesmen come, the tradesmen can it's hit easy. all your. Yeah. There's so many advantages, yeah. and it sometimes makes me think: guest houses, hotels. Th- yeah. th- there's some real value in just going for a property that just has more density and more utilization to it. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. You see that even apartments, like even a block, if you had. Have- Three or four units in the one block of apartments, you know, as I say. Yeah. You know, it seems it's no. easier to manage. Same thing, yeah. same the thing.
0: Same. The, around the time of the cannabis farm is when I really started getting wise to this concept of sweating the asset and squeezing the lemon. Yeah. Um, and this particular asset, for example, upstairs we had a uh, small rear bedroom. We dragged the door forward in, onto the landing to create a ensuite. We created an ensuite in the front room, and like this example I showed you, it's, it's a shame the camera can't see it. But there's, you know, this area, this vestibule that was underutilized. We've now created a toilet here and a shower and sink. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I really do spend a lot of time. I look at the asset, physically look at the the, the floor plan,
1: yeah.
0: and think how can I utilize. Look at this conservatory in this yard, yeah. you know. And if you think about it, what's the point of having a big garden in H M O? No, but the conservatory is a smart move, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. You don't need you don't need huge circulation areas outside mm-hmm, yeah. they hardly spend any time so tip for the tip for viewers tip for you guys i i used to it used to call it the twist it was a Dolph de roost um phrase but when you're looking at a deal think where's there a twist in this asset maybe you can go into the loft in the future uh, maybe you can extend into the garden maybe you can extend inward or adapt the floor plan inward you know and and, yeah. and find an additional room yeah. so i'm always looking for the
2: twist mm. a nice so with your that's properties good. then that you have how would you go about sourcing them would you use right move through agents yeah. Or yeah
0: yeah so we touched on this before so at the way i've done it i've not paid sources to source me properties and the, and the reason being i'm so focused on the patch so focused on making sure i can get to all my assets within like a 25 minute time yeah. radius there's just there's no real value like you know say I said to you guys right guys I want you to focus on a 25 minute radius of St Helens or yeah. you're going to come back really with very similar results to what
1: what you would find to what I'd
0: find myself yeah. Yeah. I think I think sourcing is relevant if, if so if you're watching this or, or you're in London or you're in Scotland or you're in Wales or even abroad and you think I'd love a piece of the action in St Helens or Liverpool then someone like myself or you guys absolutely sourcing and you're clearly building local knowledge with letting agents and, and yeah. trades and estate agents and landlords and uh, tenant community mm. that you would be great people to source for people. Absolutely.
2: All right. So, uh, Ian, what would three tips be now? What would three tips be that you'd give to anyone starting off in HMOs? In HMO, I mean,
0: and they, and these are, uh, the, these tips apply to property, HMO, single let, buy to let, but definitely everything costs more, Every everything costs more. And also prices are rising. So we, we, we had this famous moment like a year ago where we priced at Argos, all our lamps, all our uh, bedside lamps, uh, we had, at Howden's we priced all our fire doors and our intermission strips. And in the space of six months, Prices increased. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember the lamps at Argos, for example, were six quid. And we're meant to get them, you know, a couple of months later, they were nine quid. Really, yeah. Not much, but when you scale it up by like six, seven, eight rooms, fire doors went up, yeah. So prices will always rise. Everything will cost more. As quick as you can, systematise everything. Even something as simple as your your Corgi gas safe. Corgi gas safe, 65 quid. As you scale from one to two to five to 10 to 15 to 20, Mm If, all, if, if, if if in one month, all of a sudden, you've planned it wrongly and you've got 20 gas safes due at 6.65 a pop, that's 1,300 quid on gas safes. Yeah. So stagger them, stagger your license applications, okay. Okay. try and stagger everything. Um, I, 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 I've I switched all nearly all of my rent collections to weekly because mm. from a cash flow point of view, um, I know I've got that regular cash flow coming mm. in at the end of every week yeah and I can just really spread all my costs put down as a tip about, around trades around making sure you build a really good network you saw me in action there with the electrical team they look like fab guys don't they yeah and, yeah, exactly. and they are yeah, yeah. they're they they're, they're, they're it's important i think that you find the right trade for the right level you're operating mm. so at the scale i'm at now i need jobbing plumbers jobbing electricians do you know that term jobbing do you know what I mean when no, I say no, jobbing it's kind of like a, it's a trade term when plumbers and electricians and, and, and gas installers set themselves up some will set them up as central heating system installers that's all they want to is install central heating all day yeah. some of the joiners will set them themselves up, up as alongside a roofer they'll just want to roof all day long the term jobbing means they're generally going from job to job in a van and they're, and they're they're geared up for some of the smaller jobs like okay. changing a thermostatic rad valve on a on a, on a, on a radiator yeah. or roofing wise, doing some small flashing repairs. What you need is you need a good supply, a good a good network of jobbing tradesmen. So that's quite often small smaller local operating from a small van, or or in some cases you might have a guy who's operating out of an estate car. When you're doing this yourself and when you're running it at a smallish scale, which I still think, you know, yeah. 25 hours, 100 rooms, whatever it is, you you want the right kind of trade for the, for your size. Yeah. And, and you're going through that with your service accommodation business. What were the name of the ladies? Sweeping ladies? Sweeping sisters. Sweeping sisters. Yeah. They sound the perfect size for your business. Yeah, they are, they are. There'd be a company out there called Northwest um, Cleaners, and they might have like 150 cleaners but they might be wanting £18 an hour and mm. that might not be the right model for your yeah. business. So there's some tips. Lessons-wise, tenants have different values to you. And you and, and, and like when you're developing your assets, you've really got to get yourself in the mindset of the tenant mm. all the time, the tenant avatar, the, the, the guest, and develop it for them. Don't develop it for yourself because they have different values to you. Quite often, the types of tenants you're dealing with in HMOs, not all of them can manage money. Again, it's a generalization, mm-hmm. but you've got to be aware. I think there's kind of like there's, there's one or two or three different types of people that come into an HMO. You might have a younger person leaving home for the first time and starting out in life, or on the flip side, you might have a maturer person who for whatever reason has been spat out of society mm-hmm. and is finding themselves, if you like, falling into the HMO world. So that could mm-hmm. be relationship breakdown, could be drug addiction, it could be drink addiction, it could be a gambling, a problem that's that's gone on in their life that's, Paused, don't that's like forced them or caused them to come into shared housing. So, um, you know, be aware of that. I've put the example they might not be able to manage money they might be managing an addiction or something. And mm-hmm. it's not to say you can't work with them as a tenant, but you've just got to be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Their the mindsets are different. Lesson, I don't know, lesson, funny story, was how um, every year, uh, it took me about four years to pick up on this, but the, this, this guy's been with me for over 12 years. And in the first year, it got to August, September, and I got the phone call to say, uh, problem problem, problem at work problem with the wages I'm only going to be able to pay this this month and that next month I was like, yeah. okay you know and it, it, ten months of great record I'll, I'll allow that happened the year after happened the year after and by the fourth year we realized that every year he was coming back with a fresh tan
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah and what, it, what oh, he was um, doing was and 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 it I've kind of but that guy's been with me for i mean his, when he came his child was five and a half his child's now twenty so he's been really with me yeah. Al- yeah, he's been with a long time. And and it's just to say that you know I think this game's about ebbing and flowing with the landlords about it's about with the tenants about giving and taking with the tenants you know mm-hmm. and I think that flexibility um, as long as it's by mutual agreement you know now I'm, we kind of laugh and a joke and we go oh I wonder when so and so's holiday is going to be right. you know what I mean so I would just say be, being flexible and and you know I, t- I told you about the way I kind of managed the uh, it's, it wasn't an eviction it was the moving on process but yeah. It, I think it's a very hands-on business if you do it right and it's about, if you want to succeed in it, it's about being there and being on site and being connected to your people and uh, knowing knowing not just the names but knowing the faces and knowing the backgrounds. And I think if you if you approach it with that view in mind, it's not easy work, it is hard work, I think you'll do okay. Yeah, perfect. Sounds, Sounds like awesome. a good place to wrap up that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. 100%, yeah no. Sounds. Thanks very All much. Well, it's yeah. been great. Good yeah, it's, good. Good. it's been good. It's been good that I wish you really, really well on your journey. I think from what I've seen about the way you've kicked off your SA journey. I think if you do foray into small HMO, I think you'll do well. Wish you the best of success, boys.
1: Sam, thanks very much. Thanks for for listening and for watching. Yeah, 100%. uh, We'll see you next time. See ya.
2: See ya. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness.